Verses 24 and 25, make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. Wow, that's a good one. Perfect for today. Today is the final week in a four-part series we've been doing that I've called About Friendship. And uh, I suppose any of you have, um, if you've been on Facebook for any length of time, eventually you'll have a friend on Facebook who will, um, you know, get a little bit annoying, maybe post a little bit too much, and too often they go on a little bit too many rants, and they send you just one too many invites to Farmville or Candy Crush. <laughs> I see heads going up and down. Okay, so you, you eventually get to the point where you do something. You, you know, maybe you click unfriend. Anybody, has anybody here ever unfriended somebody on Facebook? Wow. Okay. <laughs> and so you've had that person. If the person's in the room, when you raise your hand, I hope you weren't pointing at them. That person right there. Um, better not. I mean, I, I like for things um, when I'm doing a message or a series and whatever, I like them things to be nice and neat and clean. You know, black and white. It's real simple. And um, yet, was, as I was studying for this topic and I knew this day was coming, I mean, I've been preparing this, this for quite a while, and I had this tension. There's been this tension present. And um, I don't think it's going to go away. And I, 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 I think there's a, a truth to this topic that's, that's going to go wet right with us. It's going to bring this tension right through today, and it's going to leave the room with us because there's, there's always going to be a tension. And um, I think it's important. It's an important tension, and I think we shouldn't ignore it. I think we ought to take a good hard look at it, so we will. Now, I've made a lot of references to Facebook as we've gone along, and I hope you have not misunderstood me to tell you to get off Facebook. I wasn't doing that. I think social media is helpful if it's in the right priority, in the right place. I think it really can be. But there are some things about it that have concerned me, and, and one of them is that I think that you know some things that happen unintentionally, for example, with Facebook, where you may have three or 400 friends, and um, I think that unintentionally, Facebook may have diluted the word friendship or friends a little bit. We get the concept, but the truth is you can have three or 400 friends, but nobody really you can call if you're heartbroken in the middle of the night. And to me, that's part of what a friend is, someone that you really can call when you really need to, and they'll help you sort that out. And, and then there's just that very simple mechanism of clicking unfriend that can kind of just a little bit maybe cheapen the word friend. Just a little bit. I mean, it's not intentional. It's not evil. It's just what it is. And, and uh, I want to I hold on to what we, what we mean by the word friend. And, and as we talk, with, about, talk through today, because today is the topic, the topic is unfriending. But hold on, we'll get through this okay. Okay, I'm not telling you to, to kill your friends or anything, nothing drastic, right? Um, but rather than saying we're just going to click and unfriend people in our life because we think their arrangement with us is unpleasing to God. I, I think that we need to talk more about when those seasons come along where we just need to maybe redefine our relationship with some people in our lives, and we'll talk about that. So, in fact, those of you who are committed followers of Christ, those of you who, who follow the Lord and have a relationship with it, I, I think it, it could at times be imperative that you take a look at redefining some of the relationships that you have in your life. And the reason is, if you show me your friends, I'm going to show you your future. You show me the people that you spend the most time with, and I'm going to show you the trajectory of your life. 
And uh, Proverbs, uh, Solomon said this very thing a long time ago in Proverbs 13.20. I've brought this up every time we've met on this topic. Um, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. It's so true. In other words, you hang out with a bunch of people who are wise, you're going to get smarter. Hang out with a bunch of people who are dummies, pretty soon you'll get a job with a stripe on your head, you get in the car where it smashes the wall, you'll be a crash test dummy. <laughs> wow, yeah. I mean, that could actually happen. I, I, I think probably most of you, well, some of you probably have never got into trouble in your life, but if you've ever got into trouble and you look in your rearview mirror of your life, and you probably would be like me in this. When I look back at the times I got into trouble, I didn't get into trouble alone. Right? There's always other people, it seems like, involved. I mean, almost every time I got into trouble, I was egging somebody on, or somebody else was egging me on, <laughs> and we got into trouble together. And I, I, the season that I you know, found myself most susceptible to getting into trouble was probably the time when I got my driver's license and my car keys. And for the first time, I was able to take off and spend time without the direct covering of my parents and the honor system was going on and I was still learning what honor was. So I was the most susceptible about that time in my life. In fact, I wasn't a Christian. And my, my parents are ter- were terrific parents. They loved me and they, they taught me principles and character. And, but there are some things that our children got to learn on their own, right? And so for me, off I went, you know, freedom, a little bit of anonymity and... Uh, um, so I was hanging out with some of the wrong friends that was going on with me. Um, I was a junior. I'm going to tell you a story. I was a junior in high school. In fact, as I was preparing for this, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to share this story. Um, I, I left my study one day this week and went to Lisa, and I said, hey, I'm going to tell you about something. And I shared with her some truths about my background that I never told her or my mom. And I, I have to say right now that, that the statute of limitations has now passed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so I hope I don't get grounded because that would be really embarrassing for me to be grounded. Um, but of course, I would do whatever you said, my mother. Um, my <laughs> um, those of you who don't know, my mother's right here keeping notes of things I say. So uh, I was a uh, junior in high school and was just all of a sudden free and had, you know, got this because I had this car and the ability to get out and do things. And, and I had this friend at school and he said, hey, you know, Hey, I, I, he was working in a service station. So those of you who are my friends who own service stations, I need grace now too. So he says, hey, come, come and hang out with me because um, I work at the service station. Well, it was quite a ways from where I lived, and I had a car, but I didn't have any money. And, um, and this was back when a service station was an actual place where you drove in, they came out, checked the oil, filled your car up. You could have your engine rebuilt in one of the two bays. They, you know, remember all that stuff? They did actual tune-ups where they actually changed something on the car. All that kind of stuff was going on. So he says, hey, come and visit me. I'm, I, I'm working tonight. And I said, well, I really, no dinero, no money. I can't afford the gas. He says, don't worry about that. Just come on out. Okay. So when I get out there, and um, this was a little gas station kind of out in the country, but it was a full-service gas station. They did all that stuff. But he was alone at night. And the uh, first thing he did was he give me your keys. Okay. He drives my car into the pump, fills my car up with gas. Cool. That's what I thought. Full tank of gas. My friend just gave me gas. 
Well, I used to, I started with hanging out with him a little more often, you know. I mean, if I needed gas, I'd go pay him a visit. And, you know, he was a friend, a, a, a friend to me. He was a nice guy. He would notice that maybe my tires were getting a little bit slippery. You know, you need some tires in that car. And he just slapped a set of tires on my car. None of this was going through the cash register. And um, I, I struggled with it. And this guy was my friend. He also happened to be, be the guy who always had a small supply of recreational drugs. Yeah, your pastor. Stole gas, stole tires, tried a couple of things. Not proud of it. Um, and I was on a trajectory. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Fortunately, I had other friends who were watching this slowly occur over time, and they watched my trajectory, and they pretty much grabbed me by the scruff of my neck. And I think my parents saw some things. And people around me said, um, course corrections needed. And I made some course corrections some time. But even though some of those things that I just shared with you, my mother's never heard, my wife had never heard, and you had never heard, um, even though I was never caught by anyone who, to whom I was under their authority at the time, didn't mean I wasn't caught. <laughs> it didn't mean it was, uh, hey, if nobody knows, it's no big a deal. There were some other, there are some other factors here, but I'm not going to go into that, that today. When I look back and I realize I got myself into trouble by letting the wrong person influence me to do, into the wrong behaviors. In fact, Proverbs uh, twelve twenty six talks about this. It says, the righteous choose their friends carefully. I didn't do that, okay? But the way of the wicked leads them astray. The Bible says it leads them astray. So here's an observation for you to, to tack onto that scripture. We'll meet people by chance. You and I will meet people by chance, but we deepen our friendships by choice. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Our key thought for today if you're taking notes, is, and I hope this just gets down and wedged down in your soul, is this. It's impossible to live the right life if you have the wrong friends. I need a tissue. Excuse me. Okay. Impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. It's absolutely impossible to live a God-honoring life when you do not have God-honoring friends. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Don't be misled. Why do you think he said, Don't be misled? He said that because it's so easy for us to become misled. It's easier than we really want to acknowledge or admit. In fact, I promise you that this room right now, there are many people probably who are rationalizing away at this moment why this message does not apply to you. <laughs> it does. <laughs> I know because I've been in that chair before. And I think, okay, you know, I think of some of my friends, and I think, okay, well, a couple of my friends, well, that might be kind of a little bit sketchy. Um, they're doing some things that aren't the best idea. And um, so some of you are thinking right this minute, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm better than that. It's not going to happen to me. They're not going to impact the way me the way they would impact somebody else because this just doesn't apply to me. Do not, me, do not be misled. 
Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. You show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Because you cannot live the right life when you have the wrong friends. And that all appears to be pretty straightforward. You look at it. But there's this tension that we just can't eliminate. We just cannot eliminate it. The Bible says, bad company corrupts good character. Bless that baby. Wasn't bothering us. <laughs> it's a miracle of life, and we're happy for you. Um, bad company corrupts good character. So we need to stay away from, from people who are going to always tempt us and you know, help us get into trouble. But Jesus, our Savior, and our example was a friend of sinners. <laughs> he was. He hung out with sinners. We're so glad for that. So do we stay away or do we engage and try to be a light? It's a very real tension and a really good question. The Bible says, tells us don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's pretty clear. Also tells us that we're to be the light of the world. Okay, I'm feeling pulled. I'm just feeling pulled here. Don't be with friends who are angry. The proverb we read today, because it sets a snare for your soul, but go into the world and make disciples. I mean, come on. What am I, I, which way do I go? I'm, 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 I, I don't know. Do we stay away and protect ourselves, or do we reach out and help people? The answer to both of those questions is yes. Yes. And that's, I believe, a tension that we have to embrace all the time. All the time. We have to be careful to not let the wrong influences take us away from God's will at the same time that we refuse to let our hearts grow cold towards people Um, because God wants to use you and me to show his love to those who don't know him. So how do we resolve this tension? I believe at the foundation of God's heart on this principle, this topic is this principle, and I'm speaking now to committed followers of Christ. Those, if you are a committed follower of the Lord, those people who are in your inner circle of friends, at your core, your closest four or five or six or seven or whatever number of people, the people that influence you the most and that you influence the most, they must also be committed followers of the Lord. That's just really, really important, I think, to God. And, and they have to be committed followers of Christ because that's, that's where you're going to get your strength it's where you're going to get your encouragement. It's, it's, it's where, you're, where, where people are going to love you and correct you. And when you have a core group that are committed to Christ, then your spiritual roots start to grow deeper. And when your roots grow deeper, then your reach becomes broader. And with the right people around you, your, your, your spiritual roots grow deep and, and, and you become more solid. And then you're more capable of being in a dark world and being light where it's really needed, in the ways that it's really needed. But when your inner core is not made of the right people, when, when they're not made up of, of, of people who, if they're made, it's made up of the wrong voices, then your roots aren't really deep enough for you to reach it to be very broad. And then when you try to go out, and be light in a dark world, you get your spiritual tail kicked. You do. Because you and I have an enemy of our soul, and he loves a poser. The, the enemy loves a poser. Because we can never be who God wants us to be when we were, are willing to put anyone else ahead of God. And Jesus you know, was a perfect example about that. He loved everybody equally, but he didn't treat everybody the same. You'll see that it's pretty obvious. He loved everybody the same unconditionally. 
but he didn't treat them all. For example, he, he only recruited 12 disciples. Not 13, not 27. Picked 12. He was around a lot of people. He picked 12. And of those 12, if you study the scriptures, you'll see that, that there were nine that he spent a lot of time with, but three that he really spent most of his time with. And um, he loved them all, but he didn't treat them the same. And there were times that everybody wanted Jesus. His disciples, um, sick people who wanted healing. And he'd say sorry at times, you know, figuratively, and he'd draw his boundary. I've got to go spend time with my Heavenly Father. And he would actually, neglect is too strong a word, but avoid people who needed him for 40 days at a time so that he could grow deeper roots with the Father so that his reach would become broader. And, you know, he loved the Pharisees, but he knew he couldn't trust them. So he loved them, but he kept them always at arm's length. He loved everyone equally, but he didn't treat them the same. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Because you can't live the right life with the wrong friends. And some of you are saying, okay, Terry, I got it. You've pounded this, this, this nail down. The nail has now grounded itself in the wood. Got it. I've heard what you said. Um, you know, if all of my friends are knocking off banks... If all of my friends are, you know, mobster bosses, if all of my friends are cooking meth in their kitchen and selling it to fifth graders, if this is your friend, you could be right. It might be time for you to make some adjustments and get yourself a new friend. So the answer would be, if that's if your friend, yes, absolutely. But the chances are that's not the case for most of you. This might be more, your, more of your friends, and I get that. Okay. <laughs> Your friends are different. <laughs> and even though most of our friends aren't, what's his name, White? Walter White from, a, he's a bad guy on TV. I just, an evil picture I thought you might know who that would be. You know, even though most of us, that's not our close friend, there are some close influences in our life that might need to be redefined. You know, it could be that you've got a friend that is just incredibly negative, criticizes everything, and every time you're around that person, you are becoming a little bit less like God and um, maybe more negative. It could be as simple as that. Or it could be that you know, some of the people you hang out with are tempting you to do things that are just not honoring to God. It could be that. And so you look at that and you think, I need to redefine this relationship. Or maybe some of your friends are trying to in, induce into your life values that are opposed to the values of God. And you just got to look at that and say, okay, these are my friends. This is my trajectory. I need to redefine some of these relationships. You love everybody the same, but you don't treat everybody the same. And you don't have to let everyone be in your inner circle. You should be freed up by that word. You really don't have to. The righteous choose their friends carefully, and that's just what we need to do. Okay, so to summarize kind of where we're going to be um, in this tension, I want to give you two things that we will never let our friends do and one commitment that we'll always keep in our relationships. And, and uh, okay, so two things I won't let my friends do. First one, I will never let my friends distract me from God's plan. Never. Even if they mean well even if they mean well. And that's, you know, that's exactly what Jesus did. He was, he was hanging out with his inner circle of people. And um, Peter, who had really good intentions and thought he was doing the right thing, tried to talk Jesus out of God's plan. You see this story where you know, Jesus had just explained to these guys, he said, hey guys, I'm going to die, and uh, then I'm going to be resurrected, and 
And, and Peter jumps in there. You know the story. And he said, no way. No way. Hey, we got plans for you. You can't die. You're supposed to be the king. And so you need to be alive because you can't be the king if you're dead. So he jumps in on that. And uh, how does Jesus respond to this, you know, this, this well-intentioned distraction? <laughs> Matthew 16, 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So if you need to get the attention of one of your friends, call them Satan. And they'll know you're serious. But just one thing, if, you know, if your mother-in-law is starting to rub you the wrong way, <laughs> don't tell her to get behind you and call her Satan because she will get behind you and probably stick a knife in your back. No, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Don't call your friends Satan. Okay, so okay, let me be better, I better go back to the Bible here because I'm getting in trouble. So Jesus says, you are a stumbling block to me. Now, this is one of Jesus' good friends. And he says to his good friend, you're a stumbling block to me. Oh, man. Hard, loving truth. That must have been a moment. Wouldn't you like to see the tapes on that one? Wow. And um, he's a good friend, but Jesus is drawing this line. He says, you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Get behind me. I'm not going to let you distract me. Now, I don't know how this might be going on in your life or to you. Maybe you have friends and, and they're good people and they're people you enjoy, but you know, every time you go to church, they're saying things to you like, hey, church, you went last week. Isn't once every month or two really enough? I mean, come on, Jesus freak. You know, <laughs> or maybe, you know, maybe they're, you know, and, and, and you think, and they try to talk about it and you say, you know what? You're, in your mind, you're thinking somehow, I, I can't, not, cannot let you distract me like this. Or you've heard from the Lord, maybe the Lord has signaled you that, you know, I really think you're supposed to be praying with people after church or fill in the blank. Something that the Lord is speaking to you and, and so you're, you mention it to a friend, yeah, I'm going to start praying with people after church because I feel like the Lord wants me to do that. And your friend says, What? Why would you do that? You already pray enough. I see you around here. It's kind of crazy. And you have to choose. You have to make this choice. I'm not going to let this person distract me from what I know the Lord is speaking to me. Could be the way that you live. Maybe you're a little more focused on money than you want to be. And you want to be more generous. You want to help people. Um, But every time you get around a certain group of friends, it's always about the stuff. It's always about what the money can do. And so when you realize them, you realize, when you're with them, you realize that maybe you're a little more attached to your money and your stuff than, than to people, more attached to them than, than, than to God. And you realize, I've I got to make an adjustment. I've got to redefine this relationship. And, you know, these could be some people that, you know, you have friends, maybe they're all about the image, or maybe, maybe they're all about the show, or, or maybe for some of them, some sporting event has become their God. And it's everything to them. And you redefine the relationship because you will not let someone talk you out of God's plan for your life. And you redefine that. Maybe some of you Christians in this room, you're, you're, you, know, you are dating someone who is not a believer. And you think like this. I'll flirt to convert. 
Okay? Not bad, huh? I'll flirt. I wish I had thought that up. I didn't. I'll flirt to convert. Problem is, that doesn't work. Too many times I've watched people do that. And I'm telling you, that is, um, it doesn't work. You, no matter how pretty your eyelashes are and how cute you look when they bat up and down, don't have the ability to change the heart of any other person. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the Holy Spirit. So if you're dating someone that's distracting you from God, don't rationalize that away anymore. But he's got a Bible and he went to church once. God's in there somewhere. That is, that's not the same. It's just not the same. Let the Holy Spirit get in there. Believe me, you'll be better. And, and I would say this to you, if that's where you are, don't be deceived. Please do not be deceived. I, I don't know in your life where it applies, but this applied to me um, most significantly when I became a new Christian. I mean, I was used to doing and I was used to being what a typical unsaved high school young man is and does. Parties, stuff going on. I went to a lot of parties. I was the organizer of some pretty major parties. And um, I stopped. I just looked at the trajectory and um, I, I, I got into the kind of typical trouble that a high school kid could get into. And somehow the Lord spared me from disaster. And I feel fortunate about that. And I feel the presence of grace and mercy in my life because of that. Because not only did I avoid any disaster, but the things I did didn't actually lead to the disaster. I mean, springtime comes every year and most adults look at high school and we think, okay, I hope none of our kids are the victim of senior parties in the springtime. I was the guy organizing the parties. I'm so grateful that, that um, I didn't cause the death of some, one of my friends. And I realized that. I got saved and things were going on. I got saved in the springtime of my senior year. And you don't change instantaneously when you get saved, by the way. Have you noticed that? The Lord starts building you and growing you and maturing you. And so it took a while, but I I did start changing. I stopped, you know, attending the parties, which I was organizing. And I started studying the Word of God and, and listening to cassette tapes about God. Those of you who don't know what a cassette tape is, ask your parents. They'll tell you what it is. And I was listening to God, and I was learning and listening to these teachings, and I was renewing my mind. I was becoming different. Because bad company corrupts good character. So the bottom line is, one, I will not let my friends distract me from God's plan. Never, ever, 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 ever. If you're taking notes, I will not let my friends. The second thing is this. Continually tempt me to sin. I love them, but I will not let them drag me down into the sin. And, you know, um, this is, there's a wonderful example of this in the Old Testament, a guy named Joseph. He was betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery, and he was with integrity serving his, his captors and his, a guy named Potiphar, and um, he, was, he, he was serving him faithfully, and, and he found favor in, uh, uh, with, with Potiphar. Eventually, um, he found pay, favor also with Potiphar's wife, because... She took a liking to him, and um, you see what she does. It's recorded in Genesis 39, 12. Potiphar's wife caught Joseph by the cloak and said, cloak, we don't use that word anymore. (laughs) It's a coat, okay? We'll call it a coat. And said, come to bed with me. But he left the cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. He ran out of the house. He's out of Dodge. Get out of Dodge. 
He didn't stick around and say, oh, no, 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 but let's pray together. Oh, no, 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 I'll stay here, but let's talk about your relationship with God. He didn't do that. He didn't stay around, around something that was going to tempt him. And there are those times that you have to redefine a relationship with a friend. So maybe you have friends and it's gossip, 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 gossip. And you know that that's wrong. And you just have to look at that friend and say, hey, I, I, just, I just, I can't participate in this. It does something in my heart. It makes me feel wrong. And, you know, I love you. And you redefine the relationship and you say, when that kind of talk, I, I'm going to love you still, but I'm at that point going to step out and go get a cup of coffee. I'll be back. Ladies, if you have girlfriends that, you know, are always trash-talking men, they're a bunch of no-goods, you can't trust them, and all these things are wrong, you know, worthless, hate them all. Listen, you are not going to have a better marriage if you listen to that all the time. I've watched marriages dissolve over this very topic. I've watched marriages where um, three close friends... they would spend time together as a six and sometimes the women would go together. But I watched the women who were always bad and I watched those marriages dissolve. One marriage survived where a wife said, wait a second, this is polluting my heart. I don't care what's true. I know I want to care what's righteous. This is polluting my mind. I can't keep putting this into my heart. And so you just say to your friends, hey, I love you, but... um, I think we need to honor the men in our lives. I think, I think we need to speak well of them. So when our conversation starts to go where it's been, I, 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 I got to go shopping. Time for me to get my groceries or whatever I'm going to do. Guys, if all of your buddies, it's, every time you're with them, it's all about hot chicks and coarse jokes. You know, wow, did you see her? How did she get into those pants? I mean, come on. If that's all it is all the time, what you got to say at some point is say, hey, look, I've already got a hot chick. There she is right there in the front row, and I only have eyes for her. That's it. Stop it. I don't want to hear all this stuff anymore. And that can be hard for guys to do because that kind of talk and that kind of joking is part of male culture. All the guys are going, shut up, Terry. This is not supposed to be shared in a mixed setting. <laughs> it's true. This is part of guy culture. And it's, it's, it's not good. It doesn't build you up. It doesn't mar- build your marriage up. And um, you say to yourself, I'm not going to let other people continually tempt me away from doing what God wants. And at some point in your life, sometimes you've got to redefine your, your friendships. I, I think that may have happened to most guys. Here's, here's a personal example out of our lives. Um, Lisa and I had a very, and still have a very close friendship with a couple. And uh, we've known them for decades and um, this guy, the, the, other, the other man, married couple, was always making coarse jokes. Always. In four of us. You know, mixed company. It wasn't, it, would, it wasn't okay if it was just the boys, but it was mixed company. He was always making coarse jokes, and he was always saying denigrating things about his bride. And sometimes they were clever and cute. But they always made us feel uncomfortable. I always made the wives, I, I, I'm sorry to admit this, but it made the wives feel uncomfortable before I became uncomfortable because I'm less mature than either of these two women. It's a fact. Most guys are. 
We're willing to laugh at jokes because they're funny and they're cute. But somehow that gives license to the behavior. It's destructive behavior. And over time, I watched what happened in my wife's soul. I watched her kind of fold up a little bit and close off her heart towards this man. I watched this man's wife over years close up towards her husband because of what it did to her when he talked that way about her and when he made those kind of jokes. It so dishonored her. And finally, I had this heart-to-heart because I think that I had been part of the problem by not um, stopping it the first times I heard it. I wasn't mature enough. And I would sometimes laugh if it was cute or I'd laugh with a kind of an uncomfortable laugh and, and uh, it didn't. And I, I, at first I thought the go-along-to-get-along approach was the thing to do. It didn't work. And finally I said to him, hey, you got to stop this. Because I can't witness it anymore. I watch what it does to our wives. I can't put my wife in this proximity because what I watch... So I love you, but you either got to stop this or we're going to spend less time together. And we had some rough road for a while. But he got it together. And this is no longer in his todays. And that friendship thing was positive. But first there was a line that said, I cannot let you continually tempt me this way. The righteous choose their friends carefully. And this guy got it, and we grew past it, so I'm glad for that. Now, then there's one thing that I won't stop doing. One thing that we must always do, never ever stop, and that's this. I will never stop loving people with the unconditional love of Christ. This is really important. Don't miss the power of this, because I'll never stop loving people with the unconditional love of Christ. The worst thing that could happen after today's message, the absolute very worst thing that could happen, is that this church or you could become holier than thou. You know, better. I'm better than other people. I'm now going to go polish my halo while you go work on your sin. Um, I'm going to stay away from you because your evil might jump off on my shoulders. I mean, that is the worst thing we could have happen here. Please don't go there. Nod your heads or I'm going to have to say that again. Okay, please. It's the worst thing that could happen. Because... I know the Lord has spoken to my heart and to the other leaders here that this church needs to be a place where anyone can embrace Jesus. Anyone can embrace Jesus. I know that means a lot. We'll talk about that other times. But Jesus did not unfriend sinners. He befriended sinners. If he unfriended anybody, I mean, if he did, it was the hypocrites. It was, it was the holier-than-thou people. And, and, and so we let our roots grow deep so that our love can be broad and, and, and we love people around us unconditionally, especially those who are far from God. Especially those. I really think it's time for the body of Christ to stop judging non-Christian people because they don't act like Christians. Did you catch that? I think the body of Christ has a tendency to look around at the world and expect them to behave like Christians, but they didn't sign up for it yet. And we have no right to hold them to a standard they never signed up to. We have the responsibilities to be salt and light, and I think we should try to influence. But we have no right to judge them. Room goes dead quiet. It's true. I think we love them right where they are. And this doesn't mean that you accept everything. It means that you love them with grace, and you love them with truth, because you love them unconditionally so that they can see your loving heart. And then one day, you'll have this story where they just walk into God's light. 
a light that your heart reflected for them to see. And you never imagined that God would be able to use you to make such a positive, profound change in someone's heart. He will use you that way. He wants to use you that way. I promise you, if you yield yourself to that, he will use you that way. And the key is this. We do more than survive with this tension, but we learn to thrive in this tension. The word, the word says we go into all the world, yet we don't let the world disrupt God's plan for our life. And when we're filled with this kind of love, there are going to be times where we got to draw a line and say, you know, I really love you, and I want to love you better. Let's talk about redefining our relationship. And you tell them, I love you, but I just can't listen to these jokes anymore. I'm not better than you. I just can't do this because of what it does to me. This is what God's calling me to do. And you always show them unconditional love. And when you do that, you are fulfilling the teachings of Jesus found in John 13. Here he is. He's talking. He said this, a new command I give you, love one another. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. By this, that you love one another. He doesn't say, by going to church every week, by giving money, by having the exact right and perfect doctrine, people will know you're my disciples. That's not what he says. He says, by the fact that you love one another, they're going to know you're my disciples. And at the heart of this teaching is, it's so important that we know that we're to love the Lord God with with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength and then to love one another as we love ourselves. So we thrive in this tension. We wrap up this series. I say these things, these phrases, you're probably tired of hearing me say this. If you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. If you walk with the wise, you'll grow wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. You can't live the right life with the wrong friends. Therefore, I've got to have the right core group around me so that my roots can grow deeper and my, broad, my roots can become broader. Then my love may get to the point where my light shines in the dark and um, people would know that I follow Jesus and that they are loved by the King. Let's pray.